Go ahead and grab your Bible. What do you teach on this first Sunday? Well, what do you know about Philemon? If I gave you a 3 by 5 index card, could you fill it up? Just the front? Front and back? What do you know about Philemon? Go ahead and find that in your New Testament. It's just after Titus. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. I'm going to teach you the whole book of Philemon. How about that? You ready? Buckle in because i got a lot to say this morning, alright? Go ahead and find it. The book of Philemon is written by the Apostle Paul, as we're going to find out. And it is essentially Colossians chapter 5. When Paul sent the letter to the church at Colossae, he sent two men. Tychicus, Colossians 4 says, sent with Tychicus and the book of Colossians, a guy named Onesimus. And in Onesimus's back pocket, Paul hand wrote a letter. And it is the book of Philemon. It is a personal letter. It contains no Old Testament quotations, and it contains essentially no great theological uh, doctrinal statements. Although we are going to see that there are some nuggets on the cross. Philemon is a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to a man by that name. And it goes in the pocket of a one Onesimus. So that when he delivers it, he can pull it out and hand it to Philemon. And you're going to see why. I'm not going to tell you what this book is about. We're just going to track through it here. Hold on. Uh, I'm going to point out some things as we go through. And by the time we're done... We're going to have read through this entire book, and then I'm going to give you at least one application. Paul, a prisoner, verse 1, of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. The author, as I told you, the Apostle Paul, Timothy was with him. Paul says that he is a prisoner. This is uh, at a time when Paul is, in fact, in prison. He is in prison in Rome, and he's got a brother with him, Timothy, who you know well from First and Second Timothy. And the, the book is written to, as he says at the end of verse 1, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker. Our beloved brother. It's Paul's affection for this man. But professionally, he goes on and he says that he is a fellow worker. To be a fellow worker in Paul's mind means that you are contributing to the cause of the kingdom. You are contributing to Paul's cause, which is evangelism. To Jews and to Gentiles, you are helping to expand the kingdom if you are called a fellow worker from the mouth of Paul. So that is no small thing. Paul already tells you that this man is beloved and he is a fellow worker, meaning he is doing his work in the kingdom. Verse 2. It's also to Aphia, our sister, which is Philemon's wife, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier. Archippus is uh, believed to be Philemon's son, and he is believed to be one of the leaders in the church in Philemon's home. So to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. The fact that Philemon... This man has a church in his home, tells us something else about him. Not only is he beloved by Paul, not only is he a fellow worker, meaning he is investing into the kingdom, into evangelism, he's doing his part. He has a church, the introduction says, in his home, meaning he has to have some sort of home that could accommodate people, most likely. And he has opened it up. He has said to the kingdom, 
use this tool, my home, at your disposal. And so Paul writes this letter to Philemon, to his wife, to his son, who are with him. He sends greetings, and to the rest of the church that's in his home. So we know something already about this guy Philemon, don't we? We'll keep going here. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a staple uh, introduction for the Apostle Paul. I want you to notice something before we get too far away from it in verse 1 that Paul doesn't say that he is an apostle. Paul has several introductions for himself. One of them, when he uh, tends to flex his authority, tends to flex his position as an apostle, he'll say in the very first line, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice that he doesn't do that here. Instead, he calls himself a prisoner. More on that in just a few minutes. Verse 4, we're going we're to find out, Paul's going to tell us why he likes this guy named Philemon. Verse 4, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. That simply means that Paul, whenever he thinks about this guy and whenever he prays for the guy, he has nothing to indict him on. He has nothing against this man. Everything that Paul thinks of when he thinks of Philemon is positive, and he's a contributor to the kingdom, and he's a contributor to Paul's cause. Sounds like a pretty good guy so far, doesn't it? Keep going. Verse 5. Here's what else he hears about him. Because I hear of your faith, excuse me, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. Now, these next couple verses are kind of a mouthful in the Greek language. When they translate into the English, they're kind of hard to understand. Let me tell you what he says here in verse 5. Paul has heard something through the grapevine. What that tells us is that Philemon is doing some things that are gaining attention and that Word is getting back all the way to the Apostle Paul, even in prison. So this man has a reputation for some things. Paul says, number one, I hear that you have a love. And your love here, these phrases are kind of mixed up. In the Greek, it makes sense, but it doesn't make exact sense here in the English. He says, I hear about your love for the saints, which comes at the end of the verse. And then he says, your love for the saints is birthed out of your faith in Jesus Christ. All right? So do you see the causation here? He says, I've heard some things. Number one, I've heard that you have this great love for the saints. And he says, here's what else I've heard. I've heard that it's because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, hold on to that. Hold on to that cause and effect through the rest of this book. I hear of your great love for the saints. And I hear that it's because of your faith in Christ. Verse 6. That's what he's heard. Now look at what he's going to pray. That's the history of Philemon. Paul in verse 6 is going to pray for something in the future of the life of Philemon. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Again, in the Greek, this is a little easier to understand. It gets jumbled as the phrases get mixed up in the English. Here is essentially what he says. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith, of your faith, may become effective or literally powerful. So here's what Paul says. I've heard some things about you, Philemon. I know what I already know about you. And listen to what I'm hearing. I'm hearing of your great love for the saints, for the other believers. And I know it's because of your faith in Christ. And now I'm going to pray this for you. And Philemon's ears perk up. The Apostle Paul is going to pray that this unifying faith, this 
faith that causes fellowship, this faith that brings communion, this unifying faith will become effective or effectual, that it will have a result, that it will cause something. You see where he's going here? You have a love for the saints. What is the cause of your love for the saints? It's your faith in Christ. Now I'm praying that your unity, your communion of faith with other believers, that it will become effective, that it will cause something else. And at the end here, he adds on the cause for the cause. Look what he says here in the end of verse 7. Or the end of verse 6. Through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Again, he puts it back on the origin of the effectiveness. It's on Christ. He says, Philemon, these good things that are within you, every good thing that is within you is because of Christ. It is for Christ's sake. Now, I'm praying that this koinonia of your faith, this unifying faith that you have among the believers will begin to effect, will begin to bring literally power. All right? Now we're going to find out what that is prayed for here in just a second. Keep going. Verse 7. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Brother, Notice that he calls him a brother again. And he says in verse 7, It's not a stretch that I pray this for you, Philemon. Again, your history says that this is the kind of man that you are. And so when I pray this, I'm not praying it on a wing and a prayer. I know that this is your tendency. I know that deep down this is the man who you are. This is not going to be a big stretch for Philemon. Why? Because I've already heard how you have been a refreshment to the rest of the saints. Great picture of the impact that Philemon has had on the rest of the body of Christ. He has been a refreshment. Keep going. Verse 8. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you, to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul says essentially, listen, I know who you are, Philemon. I know the kind of man that you are. I know it personally, and I've heard it through testimony of others. I know where it comes from. It comes from your faith in Christ. I'm praying that it continues. I'm praying that power and effectiveness is born out of this unifying faith that you share with the other believers. Because I'm an apostle, I could order you to do this. Because it's proper and it's right. And I could just tell you that this is the right thing to do, and then you should do it. But you remember I said in verse 1, he doesn't pull out the apostle card. Doesn't pull out the apostle card. When you read Paul's letters and you get to that first verse and he says, Paul an apostle, Paul a bondservant, Paul a slave, Paul a prisoner. It always gives you a hint into the tone of Paul's letter, into the intent of Paul's letter. If he calls out the apostle card right away, you know he's going to flex his authority. In this letter, in this personal letter, he says, I am Paul... A prisoner. Now, we know he's in jail. But that's not exactly what he's alluding to here. Do you see exactly what he says here in verse 1 and now again in verse 9? He says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. 
He's not saying, hey, I'm in jail here. You should, you should take sympathy on me and do what, I, do what I ask. He's saying, I myself am in fact a prisoner of Jesus. And what that means is that causes some things to happen inside of me. Because I am his, I do some things the way I do some things. And he begins to tell Philemon that I, that I hope that this is what is your heart. GW, can you shut those doors for me? Thank you. We've got a whole party going on back here. <laughs> I could command you to do this, Philemon, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. It's the right thing to do. I could say, you know what, this is the right thing to do. You should do it, but I'm not going to do that. For love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. I'd rather just beg you. Me, who's just another prisoner of Christ. Your willingness to do something is always better than doing it out of duty. Finally, I hope you do the right thing here. What do you want me to do, Paul? Keep going here. Verse 10, he tells him exactly what he wants him to do. I appeal to you for my child. Don't miss it. Paul calls him my child. Who is this child? His name is Onesimus. Whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. So at first mention to Philemon, he calls him my child and he says he is begotten. He is of the same stuff as I am. He is one in the same as me. He's my child. And Philemon, I could order you, but I'm not going to do it. Instead, I'm going to appeal to you for the sake of love. And based on your history, based on your faith in Christ, based on your love for us to the saints, based on what I've already heard about you in testimonies from others, I'm going to pray for you that you can continue that on, that your koinonia, that your oneness, that your unifying faith that is within you, based in Christ the one who has given you every good thing that you have. Now I have to ask, Philemon, that out of love, that you would receive my child, the begotten of Paul. And he's Onesimus. Okay, keep going. Verse 11. Who is Onesimus? Tool. Utility. It's useful. It's like a hammer or a screwdriver or a wrench. That's a useful guy. I'll name him Onesimus. That's his name. Play on words here. Paul says, I commend to you my son, the begotten, Onesimus, useful. Philemon, you'll know him because he was formerly useless to you. But now he is useful to both you and to me. How is that, Paul? In just a few verses, we're going to find out that Onesimus is a slave. He's a slave that Philemon once owned. The story goes, as we get through here, you'll be able to put the pieces together, that Onesimus, who was once a slave of Philemon, skipped town. He ran away. He's a runaway slave. We're going to find out later on in the text that he apparently took some things from Philemon as well. So you've got a runaway slave who's also a thief, stole from his master and ran away. Do you know what the punishment for a runaway slave who steals from his master is in Rome? Pretty much anything the master wants to do. He is a tool of the master, and the master has total authority over him, and he can do whatever he wants to Onesimus. Apparently, 
Paul in Rome, whether in prison or maybe outside of prison before he got put in prison, runs into a runaway slave thief named Onesimus. Maybe even recognizes him from his time in Ephesus around these churches. At any rate, runs into Onesimus and somehow, we don't know how, Onesimus gets saved. He becomes a child of the Apostle Paul. He becomes begotten. He becomes born again. Paul's net draws him in and he gets saved. So now Paul has in his company, not just a fellow worker, but a slave, a runaway slave, who's also a thief. Finds out that he has connection back to old friend Philemon. Paul, what do you do? What do you do? Colossians 4 says that he sends Tychicus along with Onesimus. Back with the book of Colossians, and he puts in Onesimus' back pocket this personal letter to Philemon. And you're reading it right now. So you get, you get the picture here? Onesimus stands before this master who he stole from, ran away from, knows that his life is in this master's hands. What is this master going to do? And Onesimus pulls out the Moripovich envelope that says, look who my daddy is. All right? Surprise. Paul is my father in the faith. I am begotten of Paul. Keep going here. Verse 12, I have sent him back to you in person, sending my very heart. What does Paul think of Onesimus? He's a child. He's begotten. He was useless, but now he is useful to both you and I. I sent him back to you in person. Uh, Obviously, Paul believes that is the right thing to do, that when you get saved, there may be things in your life that you need to uh, come to grips with, make reparations for. Amen? Yeah. So Paul sends him back, and he says at the end of verse 12, that Onesimus is not just a slave to the Apostle Paul. In very a Christian, I think he can. And Paul likes this kid. Well, 13, whom I wished... To keep with me. Paul says, I wish I could keep this guy. He's useful to me. He's a benefit to the kingdom. But obviously Paul's conscience says, you know what? The right thing to do is to send him back to you. Why? Because he is rightfully yours. He's rightfully yours. So Onesimus, you've got to go back. You've got to go back and you've got to make this right. I'll send a letter, but you have to go back and face the music. So Onesimus goes back. Paul says to Philemon, I wish I could have kept him with me. Verse 13, so that on your behalf, that's Philemon's behalf, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. He says, Philemon, uh, you know, if this guy were were here with me, it would be like you ministering to me from afar. Setting Philemon up here. Watch what he does. 14, but without your consent, remember, he's not going to command. He's appealing to him out of love. Without your consent, I did not want to do anything. And here's why. He's setting Philemon up. So that Philemon can do the right thing. So that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but out of your own free will. Philemon, the ball is in your court. Paul calls upon grace on behalf of Onesimus. Verse 15. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. Paul adds a verse here of perspective for Philemon. 
a verse of divine perspective for Philemon. He says, perhaps, you know, Philemon, in the greater scheme of things, who knows? Maybe God was behind this. Maybe he was taken from you so that he could run into me, get saved, and now I can send him back to you and he can be your brother for how long? Forever. Not just your servant, not just your slave until he dies and then he's gone. Maybe this all happened so that he could become a brother forever and forever and forever. What about that, Philemon? What do you think about that? Some divine perspective. 16. Look at what Paul says in regards to Onesimus and how Philemon should treat him. That you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave. I want you to notice here, and I won't spend much time on this, that Paul doesn't address directly this issue of slavery and that it's uh, counter to Christianity. Paul is much more concerned with things on a higher, more spiritual level. To condemn slavery at this point is not Paul's interest. By the end of the letter, you're going to find out what Paul thinks about it, to be sure. But it's as if emancipation, the freedom of slavery altogether is on the tip of Paul's tongue and he never lets it out. But he continues to appeal to Philemon out of love and for the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of the kingdom. Flip over to 1 Corinthians. I want to show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Back to your left. He is not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? He is not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition or that calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Onesimus? Philemon? Were you called while a slave? Well, don't worry about it. But if you're able to become free, do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Don't become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition or that calling in which he was called. Paul's concern is not that this Onesimus goes back to Philemon and he remains a slave. In fact, Paul sends him back because he is technically the property of Philemon. But out of love, he says to Philemon, Philemon, I appeal to you to do the right thing. To do the right thing. In fact, I wish you would send this guy back to me, that he might be a minister from you to me, to do what you can't do from afar. He's my heart. He's my son. He's my beloved. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. Look at what he calls him. A beloved brother. A beloved brother. In verse 7, or in verse 1, who does Paul call a beloved brother? Philemon. He starts off this letter to Philemon and says, Philemon, my beloved brother. Down in 16, Onesimus gets the same credit that Philemon gets. 
he's looked at in the same way that Paul looks at Philemon. He says Onesimus is a beloved brother. He's not just a slave. He is more than a slave, especially to me. Especially to me, because he's Paul's child. Paul saved this young man. Check this out. But how much more to you, Philemon, both in the flesh and in the Lord? How much more to you, being that he was yours on this earth, and now he is yours, a brother, on a higher level, both in the flesh and in the Lord? The inference here is, Philemon, listen, the spiritual has to impact the everyday flesh and blood of this world. What you say you believe about Christ, that unifying faith, that commonality of your faith, I'm praying that it becomes powerful and effectual in everyday flesh and blood life. How much more is this man a brother to you now, Philemon, both on this earth now and in heaven? The two have to collide. Keep going. 17 and 18, we get, a, we get a great picture of the cross and of Christ. Paul says, if then you regard me as a partner, and he says, receive this useless, previously runaway, thieving slave who has now proved himself useful to me. You receive him just as you would receive me. How do you think Philemon would receive the Apostle Paul? With high regard and open arms. Paul says, as a partner and as an equal. How is Philemon supposed to look at Onesimus? As a partner and as an equal. Keep going here. Look at what he says in verse 18. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Who does that sound like? If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. It sounds like Christ talking to the faithful father about you and I who are runaway, thieving slaves. Who one day find our way to someone who gives us the gospel. And whoever gives us the gospel puts that letter in our back pocket so that when we go back and we face the faithful father one day, we can pull out the letter and say, listen, my daddy sent this. I'm a child of, I'm begotten of, none other than Christ. And when we stand before the Father, Jesus steps in on our behalf and says what? He says, Father, if he owes anything or if he's taking anything from you, charge it to my account. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the cross? Charge it to my account. I'll pay this guy's debt. Receive him as an equal. Receive this child as if he were me. Strong words. Keep going. 19, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. With that sentence, Paul enters in to a contractual agreement. By sending this letter, he is legally binding himself to Philemon and saying, Listen, I'm telling you, mark it down. You keep this letter as a legal document that I will pay this man's debt. And then, oh, by the way. Uh, Philemon, (laughs) look at how he finishes the verse. I'm not just Onesimus' daddy. Lest you forget, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. 
How did Philemon get saved? Under the Apostle Paul. Philemon, this man is your brother in the flesh and in the Lord. You have the same father. Does having the same father solve some issues between brothers when there's bad blood? I think there does. I think there does. Keep going here. Verse 20. Yes, brother. Let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Second time you've seen that word refresh. You see how Paul ties all this together? He starts out, Philemon, I know the kind of man that you are. I'm hearing more and more the kind of man that you are. I know about your love for the saints, and I know it comes from your faith in Christ. I'm praying that that unifying faith that you have, that koinonia, that communing faith that you have in Christ for you, I know that is your track history. I know that is the man who you are. I'm praying that it continues to be. By the way, here's Onesimus, the guy who ran away and took your stuff. You could kill him if you wanted to, but listen, he got saved and now he's my son. Receive him as you would receive me. If he owes you anything, clear the debt, put it on my account. By the way, my credit is good because... I already have credit on your account. Remember, I'm your father as well in the faith. Philemon, would you refresh me like you've refreshed the other saints? Do the right thing by Onesimus. He's not just a slave, although he is your slave. He is more than that. He is a beloved brother. Heaven has to impact earth for Philemon to do what Paul is asking him to do. Now, there are a lot of things by way of application that I can give you here, but let me, let me try and go through these. Um, because I've said all that so that I could get to this. The measure of a man's spiritual character. Listen now. The measure of a man's spiritual character is not marked by how he acts when he is around those who are just like him. Now listen to me now. If if you have distractions in your heart, please uh, get rid of them. Because I believe the Lord wants us to hear this today. The measure of a man's spiritual character is not marked by how he acts when he is around those who are just like him. Those who look the same, think the same, act the same, talk the same, or do the same things. The high mark of godly character is found in the man who can love, minister, and serve when he finds himself in a foreign territory with those who are not his, quote, peers. It's easy to love when those who are around you are like you. It's easy to love those who think the way you do. It's easy to love those who do like you do and look like you do. But find me the man, find me the woman, who when placed in an element or in a situation or in an atmosphere that doesn't allow him, doesn't allow him, the benefit of everyone else being the same. Find me that man who in that position can raise himself to the spiritual level 
that his creator has designed him to be. That man will impress me. That woman will impress me. The man or the woman who allows himself to be stretched to become the one God demands us to become as we carry this banner of Christianity. Today's church is as segregated as ever, and not just by color, segregated by economic level, education level, status level, the color of our collars, the accent of our voice, and on and on. And that, my friends, is a tragedy of the church. It's supposed to be, don't miss this, the beauty and the testimony of the church is supposed to be its unity amidst our differences. The beauty and the testimony of this church to this world, who is watching, by the way, should be and is supposed to be our unity amidst our differences, our unity without uniformity. Do you know what that means? That we can be together, that we can be on the same page, going the same direction, when we don't look the same, when we don't act the same, when we don't think the same, when we don't believe the same, when we have different preferences, we have different likes, we have different jobs, we have different accents, we have different colors, all those things. None of them get in the way of our unity. That man, that woman, impresses Presses me, presses you, presses this world. It's the man and the woman that Christ is looking for. I'm not impressed by a group of people who get along when there is no real substantial differences in the group. God is not impressed by the man or the woman who can get along when there are no real or substantial differences in the group. Show me the rich and the poor, the black and the white, the old and the young, educated, uneducated, the one with perfect English, the one with broken English, the one with status, the one with no status, the one with power, and the one with no power. You show me them coming together. Show me that church. And not only will I be impressed, more importantly, the world will be impressed. More important than that, God will be impressed. It's a church of spiritual depth, not a one-dimensional vanilla church. That church that is that has unity because of its uniformity, that church is, well, it has no flavor. It has no depth. It's not refreshing. It's bland. It's lukewarm at best. And it does little to nothing for the glory of the King. The world needs and Christ deserves a church that finds unity amidst our differences. Oh, what glory that brings to the name of the one who saved us. Who writes that letter on our behalf so that we can escape death. The ground at the foot of the cross is indeed level. We must all bow there. All of us. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all do. And so there's no sense in measuring the distance. Because we all fall short. Today you may find yourself in a place that is um, strange to you. Praise God you have a wonderful opportunity. 
an opportunity for God's greater glory. This, incidentally, is uh, really the genius of missions. To get you out of your comfort zone, put you in a culture, put you in a place with people who aren't, to force you to deal with people who aren't like you. That's good. Now, I know that some of you are thinking right now, even while I'm saying this, that you are willing to do that. And that in your, and in your own pride, you're saying to yourself, yeah, I'm, I'm totally cool. Send me for a week to India or Jamaica or wherever. And I'll eat, you know, fried crickets or whatever they got. I can deal with that. Undoubtedly, many of you would. My question today is, what about, what about all the other weeks when you're here? What about the 51 weeks here? Are you as willing to be stretched? It's... Uh, it's kind of cool these days in churches and in ministries to um, come up with creative names for your ministries. My former church, I had a ministry of singles, and uh, the name I came up for the singles was Shift. We based it on John 3.30. If you know John 3.30, John the Baptist says, in regards to Christ and His coming on earth, that He must increase and I must decrease he meaning Christ must take center stage and I must be willing to go behind the curtain perhaps the most comprehensive statement ever made by a human I've ever heard describing this journey we call discipleship this great decrease for the sake of his increase this shift in this life We all have shifts to make. If you're a Christ follower, you must make these shifts. And unfortunately, it's not just one or two. It is day after day after day of shifts. All decisions, actions, reactions, attitudes, motives, everything you do is affected now by whose you are. Uh, let Let me finish up here. I know I've gone long. Um, but I need, to, I need to say this last thing. There's no denying the fact um, that the two, congregation, that are, two congregations that have found their way together today have substantial differences. Okay? Can we all agree on that? Some of you, no doubt, uh, have wanted to walk, if not run the other way. At some point during this whole process, don't amen to that. Frankly, I've had uh, some of that myself at times. But I think there's a higher word for us today. And the higher word is that we have a choice today. To begin the hard work of building a place that finds its common bond, if only, as Preston started, today at the foot of the cross. We have a choice to begin the hard work of building a place that finds its common bond if only we have that opportunity and we have a responsibility today to begin afresh the mandatory work of this great decrease 
We all have our Onesimuses. Those who we may not see as equals. Those who we may not put on the same level. In Christ, there is no difference. And guys, my vision for uh, what we're doing here is, uh, is not that we would all be the same. Not that we would all agree. Not that you would all like what I think or what I want to do. But that for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the one who we sang about earlier, that we are able to put all this other stuff to the side. And although I could command it and order it by the power vested in me through the word, I'm appealing to you today, guys. Would you find in your hearts a place that you sit at the foot of the cross and you are so in love and so in a place of adoration of the one who saved you, your Father, that when you look around, you don't see differences. You see beloved brothers. Can I tell you that the world is looking for a church that will do that? The world is looking for a church that can do that. We have a great opportunity. And I'll say it again. Some of you are looking for a reason to cut and run. And you're going to miss. You're going to miss a great opportunity for the greater glory of God. Let's pray.